0: Now, the message that I'm going to preach today is primarily directed to the men is a direct lesson and a direct exhortation to them. But in reality, I think the message that I'm preaching this morning is something that every woman, whether it's ordained by God that she should remain All of her days as a single sister unto the Lord, and of course the Bible speaks about that, even as her single brothers unto the Lord. But she needs to understand the working of God in the man's life, especially to every married woman and every mother. How you need to understand the unique difference that exists in God's dealing with the man and with the woman. And so, to every woman here, though I tell you that I'm preaching this primarily to men, yet charge every woman here to listen carefully to what I have to say because much of the troubles that exist in families, much of the lack of understanding sometimes that mothers have for their sons, much of the seeming unruliness and torment and turmoil that goes on in a man's life, if you properly understand this teaching that I'm going to bring forth today, will help you not only to understand it, but to work with it creatively and constructively. To bring to pass that which God is trying to do in the man's life. I was reading a little article somewhere the other day. I think it was in some paper that was sent to me. And it said essentially this. That a ten-pound bar of iron in its ingot form is worth $11. There might be change now, I don't know, inflation. But if you beat that 10-pound bar of iron in its ingot form into horseshoes, it's not worth $11, it's worth $22. If you take and combine it with other ingredients and beat it even yet further into a finer form and make out of it needles, It's worth some larger figure. If you then take it and reshape it and beat it yet into a further form and make out of it penknife blades, high-quality steel, it's worth much greater figure. But that 10-pound bar of iron in its raw form, worth $11, if you take and beat it and anneal it, and heat it and pressure it, combine it with other ingredients and make mainsprings out of it for watches, that $11 bar of iron is worth over $500,000. Someone say, what? That bar of iron? How could it ever be worth $500,000? It can't be worth $500,000 in its raw form. It must be beaten heated, pressured, twisted, pulled, drawn, reshaped until it is willing to be shaped into the most valuable possible form that it can take. It needs to be combined with other ingredients that will make it take on the characteristics that are necessary because raw iron will rust quickly. Cannot stand up under much fatiguing. You do a little bit like this with a piece of iron and it just breaks in half. It has no real strength. It has strength in a certain way, just a big blob of it. But when you wind it into a fine watch spring, it must tighten up under pressure because you wind it up every day and it must be tight. And then gradually with a very controlled ability, it must gradually unwind. And it must do that over a period, not one or two days or five days or ten days, but years, pressure, and controlled, unwinding pressure controlled, un- pressure, controlled, unwinding, it takes much work to produce that mainspring out of a bar of raw iron. Now, it is God's purpose in your life. This would apply generally to both men and women, but I'm going to direct my message now to the men. Because the difference that exists between men and women is essentially this one. And though there's some overlapping here, yet generally I'm speaking a sound position. That a man is created by God for some destiny as yet unknown to him. It may be that mothers and fathers desire him to be a doctor, a lawyer, a preacher, a teacher, whatever it is they have in their hearts, some dream. Maybe it's a frustrated dream of their own. That the father always wanted to be a doctor, but he ended up merely being a carpenter. And he always wished he could have been a doctor, but he didn't have the money, so he couldn't get into medical school. And he's made up his mind his son is going to be a doctor. And he says, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. And he hopes that will come to pass so that his frustrated ambitions will be fulfilled. Or the mother knows of the attorney across town or the respect that the teacher has. She feels a little frustrated, maybe, that her husband is only a worker in a laundry. And she says, when my son grows up, he's going to be a... Then whatever it is that, in her mind, is that... Ah. And she'll say, my son is a... But all of these things are self-centered things. And we must learn, as men and women of God, to not put any trip like that on our children, because bound into the breast of every child is gifts that have been placed there by God and it is up to every parent to find out by seeking God by watching the child by seeking the word to allow God to use the parent as a covering in which the true purpose of God in that child will have a chance to manifest itself so that all of the gifts that God has planted in that child will have a chance to Be manifested someday. But I speak particularly of the man because he is created with a destiny unknown. Virtually every woman, in her heart at least, even though it may turn out to be something different, in her heart at least, she understands that someday she will be married. Someday she will have children. And in the very real sense, her destiny, at least in her mind, is that she will be married and have children. She'll raise them up. They'll be her sons and her daughters. She understands that. That's her purpose. And that's in line with the Scripture. Because the Scripture says that man was not created for the woman, but the woman for the man. She's the helpmeet which comes alongside because the Bible is, by these symbols and this typology, is saying the man has been created to be used by God as an instrument and a tool to do something. What that is, he doesn't know. And this is where much of the confusion takes place in the male life. He doesn't know what it is he's supposed to do. The early part of my marriage, My in-laws didn't understand me. My own parents were dead. They wouldn't have understood me either, I'm sure. They thought there was something wrong with this fellow. Well, there was plenty wrong with me. That you can be sure of. But there was something right in that I sensed the rightness of something and I would tell people there's a destiny in me and it's pushing me towards something in the future. And I try to fit into this and fit into that But I couldn't fit into it. Now, I could do it, but I couldn't fit there. It was like, why don't you settle down and do this thing here? And I would try to settle down. Something just was pushing and saying, you're moving toward that out there. Oh, God, what is it? What is it? Nothing. No answer. Just that. Push. Now, every man, in greater or lesser degree, is being pushed by that same sense of, I'm here for a purpose. Whether he's saint or sinner, that's true. Every man has been raised up for a purpose. General purpose, of course, to glorify God. But a specific purpose to accomplish something in this world by the ordination of God. The male... Is the lawgiver, the protector, the defender, the provider, the covering. And in most cases, the one who dies first. The one who bears the brunt of the failure of the home. The one who takes the weight of the emotional shock of the world and defends his family from it. He's meant by God to do that. That's his purpose in life. But he also has a destiny, something toward which God is taking the raw bar of iron that is the character the nature of the man, not the character. The character will come forth. But the nature of the man is raw form. And as the man places himself in the hands of God, and even when he doesn't place himself in the hands of God, before that time, God knows we're coming to some point, we're going to receive it. God is working and molding us and bringing us to that point of destiny. There's a poem I read some years ago. I don't know if I can recall it all now. It says, isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common people like you and me are builders for eternity. To each is given a bag of tools, a set of rules, a block of stone. And each must build, ere life is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Now, it's like every man is this block of raw stone or this block of raw ingot iron. And he gives himself into the hands of God. And God has a purpose that he's ready to build him into. But he's just this raw piece of iron. The character is not there. The integrity is not there. The development is not there. The strength is not there. The spirit is not there. The understanding is not there. Nothing is there. And yet, maybe by the time he's 20, he thinks he knows a whole lot of things about life. Maybe by the time he's 30, before he comes to Jesus Christ, and he thinks he knows something. He knows nothing, as yet he ought to know. But he doesn't know that he doesn't know. So he goes through life and says, man, I've learned a lot of things and I really know where it is and I've got it together. Maybe he doesn't have it together at all, but he thinks he has it together. So God then many times will spend one year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years pounding on a man. You ever watch him make horseshoes? Take this block of iron and make it into something more valuable? I thought about that being me once I read this thing and God began to touch all my spirit to bring a message along this line. And I see them taking that raw block of iron and sticking it in the forge. Someone says, turn that crank up there and they blow air through it and the fire gets hot and it just blows against that. And I'm thinking, that's me in there. And God holds me over that, and the next thing, my, this heat, and I'm saying, oh, get me out of here. Lord says, all right, I will. Then he picks up this big sledgehammer, and I'm taking out, oh, boom, like this. See? And oh, and then boom, 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 boom. I say, oh, Lord, stop pounding on me. He says, all right, I will, back in the fire for a while. See? oh, that's God's plan. And he heats you up and pounds and beats, and then takes a... Punches holes through the thing like this, and finally holds it up—a horseshoe. (laughs) And then the blessed and wonderful thing: we stand up there, us being little horseshoes. But God's not through with us, you know. We stand up here; we are a horseshoe, and we're standing up before the congregation. We're saying, "Brother Horseshoe, would you preach a message here to these people?" (laughs) We're standing here and say, "Wow, man, that's a thing." And then one day, we get to realize somehow, with all that preaching we're doing God saving souls in spite of it anyhow and the Lord is beginning to show us that we thought we were the world's greatest horseshoe and then we find out we're just another horseshoe and we say Lord there's something wrong in my life and I'm not really together and I don't feel I'm as much value I tell you what I'm feeling in my own heart I'm the last two three four years I've been rejoicing and I hope you understand I'm preaching to men Keep that clearly in mind. I'm ready to use some scriptures here, too, pretty quick. I've been looking at the numbers of people that are being saved and being delivered. But out in the fringe area here, and I know that we can't reach everybody for Jesus, and I know that we can't save everybody, and I know it's really God's job, too, but I know that he uses us as instruments in his hand. And I know partly it depends on how well we become Molded to his will and shaped to his pattern so that he can use us. I know that too. So, as a part that I have to play and a part that you have to play, and I've been looking at some of the cases, we haven't had too good success with the alcoholics. And this has been disturbing my heart. We haven't had too good success with the healing of the body some miracles have taken place for which I thank the Lord but there are areas here that I watch people die that I felt in my heart ought not to have died I don't want to go into a self-condemnation thing here because that's why I'm talking about myself now you have to apply it to yourself as you can but I'm having to look at and assess a right situation I've seen people that have been bound up in various forms of Sexual deviation that we have not been able to help. Others we have. Few we have. Some we have not. Others that have gone away for no reason at all. They seem to be getting along well in the Lord. And then suddenly just blew apart at the seams. And I looked at them and said, Lord, what happened? And God kind of, if I'm using the illustration I'm using now. He's used different illustrations. I mean, I'm just using this because it's fresh in my mind. He's saying, Son... It's because I still have a destiny for you that you're not fulfilling yet. You're a horseshoe preacher. And for whatever is put into that horseshoe, you're doing all you know how to do. There's no condemnation. I love you. I made you that way. But now I want you to put yourself back in my hands again. And then I remember back to the fire and the heat and the pain. And maybe at some point, and here's the thing that I'm telling you now, at some point you get gun shy of the heat. At some point, you get tired of the pain. You say, oh, no, Lord, surely I'm there now. God says, well, okay, keep looking. At some point, because it's got to be with his growing children, I think a place, a growing realization of our own lack. And we walk back to the Father and we say, Father, what further form do you want for my life? Here I am. Take me. Now, can you understand that in a man's life, see, I'm saying these things overlap because it applies to a woman. But a man is saying, Lord, I thought I was there. And while he thinks he's there, and while the resting time is occurring to the women that are involved in his life, they may say, wow, he's really got there. Look how peaceful things are and pleasant and this and that and the other thing. And then there comes that, oh. Say, what's going on? Why you you, you, you you seem distracted. You seem like you're you're a million miles away. You seem like some great burden is rising again in that man's heart, and that thing is beginning to push because God's moving him on to that place that he really has for him. And he walks back into God's hands again, trusting, loving son, says, Okay, God, here I am. And he picks him up again and says, Turn on the forge. And then you put it back in there again, and the heat, and the pounding, and the beating, and this and that. And it takes a whole different form. And this can go on again, and again, and again, and again in a lifetime. It'll go on in your little sons. You won't understand them. We say they're going through a phase. I tell you, it's the dealing of God in their life. And ask God how you as a mother... And I speak this to the grown men in our congregation, how you as a father, and to the brothers that are in our congregation, who these children are not your direct sons, but they are certainly our responsibility. How can we relate to them? How can we meet their need? How can we pray to God to give us divine insight that God is molding that little bar of iron? God is molding that blessed block of stone. And to help God By sustaining that young one, surrounding him with love, covering him with our protection. So that he has the opportunity to let God deal in his life and he'll find some place of stability. And then he'll go through it again and again and again and again and again. And when he's 45, 50, he'll still be going through it. Only he'll be doing it now with an intelligence. Walking back into the furnace and saying, turn up the heat again, oh God. Now look at our brother Joseph. Here was a young man, I don't know how old he was, 12, 15. Believe me, you read from the 35th chapter of Genesis on to about the 45th and you'll get the whole story. Young man here, 12 or 15 years of age, whom his father loved very much. Joseph was his name. Jacob loved him, gave him a coat of many colors. The Bible says his brother's hated him. I don't know if this is Jacob's fault. I can read a lot of things into that. And I can read a lot of things into those brothers too. I think they hated themselves along with Joseph and the father and everybody else. And that's sometimes is a part of it too. Because a lot of them turned out okay after all. I tell you here in the end of it, what God did with Judah was a beautiful thing. And Judah was the chief guy that put Joseph into the trouble that he was in. But he was just an instrument in the hands of God. And sometimes when a person hates you later on, they're going to love you. You can't afford to hate them because they hate you. Because later on, you're going to be the one who keep reaching out in love to them. They're going to come to the place where they end up loving you. And you don't have such a barrier to hurdle. You know, it's a tendency in this life. When somebody hates us, what do we tend to do? You say, oh, you hate me? Well, I hate you. you say, you got a wall with me, I'll build a bigger wall with you. But I'm just telling you folks, no matter what wall people build with you, don't let your heart be divided against them. Just keep on reaching out in love toward them like this. Say, man, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. And just keep on reaching out. Don't let them get to you. You see, you have the privilege of deciding whether you're going to hate or love. And God's given you the power to love. But you've got to generate hate. Say, and you've got to work at generating hate. You've got to pull up the old man. And you've got to get all your nature. And that nature is dead. What are you going to do? Bring it back to life again? And that's many times what we do. Somebody does it. The devil says to us, well, well look at that. Or the world says to us. Or the examples around us. Or we, reach a, we say, oh, I'm going to. And see, we work at generating hate. And Oh, boy. And we meditate on what they did. And then we build it up. And then we go around and we look at it for what? Oh, that guy. Why am I mad? Ah, i tell you what I'm going to do with that fellow. And you build something up like that. Well, Joseph apparently didn't do that. Or at least if he did in the 20 years that he was away from his brothers, God did something in his life. But in the meantime, he understood there was some destiny pushing him. He had a dream. And he dreamed to get along and the short of it that his brothers bowed down to him and he stood up as the ruler over them. And he was younger. They said, the younger, you're going to rule over us. Will you really do this? And they hated him the more. Couldn't speak peaceably, the Bible said. Then he went and told another dream. And the interpretation of this dream was not only did his brothers bow down to him, but his mother and his father bowed down to him. The Bible said, Jacob rebuked him. Said, shall I and my mother bow down to you also? Now he saw something was real from God. There was some destiny pushing him. He knew he was meant by God to do something, to be something. And the first thing that God does in developing this man of God was not to send him to Bible school, but send him down to Egypt to become a slave. You know, I think God's ways are so far different from man's ways that there's no understanding. The human mind can't grasp that. You know, you say, wow, man, don't you see? And Jacob had this. He says, I know the hand of God's on him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give him a coat of many colors. We're going to lay aside a trust account. We're going to send him over here. going to give him the best advantages and this and that and the other thing. God says, I'm going to send him to my school. What's your school, Lord? We're going to send him down to Egypt and give him a schooling down there. And so gets the brothers. The hatred that's in their heart wasn't God put it there. They put it there themselves. But the hatred that was in their hearts, they couldn't live peaceably with their brother. They had a chance to... Do him in? And so what they did is they betrayed him and sold him to a slave caravan that was going down to Egypt. And they took the money. I don't know what they did with it. Probably thought they were having a good time. And they sent their own brother down to Egypt to become a slave. I want you to think for a minute. And I want you to see the hand of God in some things. We would think there would be no worse place for the development of a godly child than Egypt. We would think the place for the development of a godly child would be in a godly home, and in many cases that's right. And yet I'm telling you, in the divine providence of God, sometimes when He's developing a man to be what He wants him to be, He takes and pressures him and puts him into a place which looks utterly contrary to any common sense, utterly contrary to any reason, utterly contrary to any understanding that humans could have. Can you imagine... The temptations that were thrown at him. Can you imagine the sin that he was surrounded with? Can you imagine the evil that he experienced in that place? And somehow God sustained him by His grace. And I'm sure that he was hurt and scarred and wounded and beaten and crushed and pulled and stretched and mixed. But he kept his integrity before God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know how he did that. That's God's grace. I'm telling you, he didn't do that. God did that. But he kept his integrity before God. And somehow he practiced what he knew of the word of God. And God blessed him. And God prospered him. And Potiphar, the ruler of the household into which he had become a slave, watched him. And everything that Joseph touched prospered and finally Potiphar said God is with this man and he made him ruler over all of his household he didn't even know what was in his left hand or his right hand or what was in his account save the food that was on his table Joseph could have been stealing and lying and yet he came to have an absolute confidence in this man and said rule over my household I trust you with everything that I have and Potiphar's household abounded and prospered mightily Joseph was doing everything that he knew how to do that God had taught him he was being the best horseshoe he could be He was better than just a blob of iron like he was back there in Israel. Now, he was a horseshoe. And somewhere along the line, I don't know if he asked God for it. don't think he did. don't think he had that kind of understanding. It takes a New Testament understanding to put yourself into the hands of God. We have all these divine illustrations in Scripture. One day, Potiphar's wife gets her eye on him. Now, don't you know God could have kept her from doing that? I want you to understand that. God could have killed her, could have made her blind, brought her down with a dreadful disease, or got Potiphar in his mind to sell Joseph someplace else, or do any one of a hundred thousand other things he could have done. But he allows, not makes, but allows this woman to fix her eyes upon Joseph. The long and the short of it, she wanted to lie with him, the Bible says, come lie with me. He said, how can I do this? He said, my master has held nothing back from me in all of his house except you. And I cannot do this thing. Maybe he was tempted. I don't know. I know he ran from the house. Maybe he was frightened. I don't know what it was. She grabbed his coat and tore it off. He ran from the house to keep his integrity and to maintain the integrity of his master's house. And she was so angry with him. She told Potiphar when he got home. This Hebrew you brought in has come in to defile your house. And naturally the man believed his wife. Most men would. Maybe every man would. And he turns around, he takes Joseph, and he puts him in a dungeon. A dungeon. Here's Joseph back here doing what he knows to do is right before God, and what he gets for doing what's right before God, he goes down to Egypt and becomes a slave. Then he keeps on practicing what's right before God and God's twisting him and shaping him and training him. And finally he says, Oh man, I'm ruler over everything that Potiphar's house has and I'm going to really work for God. I'm going to be a witness for him. I'm going to show him that the God of the Hebrews is a real God. He did. And God prospered Potiphar's house in everything that he did. And you know what Joseph gets for that? He gets to go back in the forge again and gets to go back in the crucible, and he ends up in a dungeon. Ends up in a dungeon. And pretty soon, under the providence of God, you'd think there surely would be no worse place for a man to develop his godly life and his preaching abilities than an Egyptian dungeon. And yet the man goes right on growing for God. Even there, it's God that keeps us, and not we ourselves. And pretty soon he had the freedom of the whole jail. Was right under the jailer and he went and fed the prisoners and so forth and so on. He was going up in the world down is what he was doing. See over here, he's up in the world and then he goes down, he's up in the world. and you know, So the higher he rises, the further down he's going. I don't know where he's going to next. Well, I'll tell you where he's going to next. He's going to be used by God to preserve the whole nation of Israel. Is what he's going to be used by God for when he's really ready to do and be shaped by God into whatever final form God has for him. Two prisoners are sent to the jail. One was the butler, one was the baker of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they both had a dream. Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. They came into the prison not by accident, but by the design of Almighty God. Believe me, he has this world under control and all in his hand, and nothing is going out of control at all. Nothing going out of control in your life. If you really trust what God is doing, nothing can hurt you. You cannot be hurt. Who is he that shall harm you if you be the followers after that, which is good? So the two prisoners come and tell their dreams. Joseph honestly tells them both what it means. One of you is going to be put to death for your crimes. The other one is going to be declared innocent. You're going to go back and serve your master. The butler is. And he said to the butler, when you go back and stand before Pharaoh, tell him, what you found out of me, that I'm a man of integrity, I've not lied, I've not taken anything from anyone, and that God is with me, I can interpret these dreams, tell him that, will you do it? said, I surely will. I want to show you the marvelous providence of God. Some of you have done good. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You understand, I'm still talking to the man. But I want you women to understand this. When you see your men going through these weird changes, you say, what is going on? I wish this guy would settled down. And I wish we'd just get a house we could live in. I wish we could just get a job. I wish we'd... If you've got a man of God, that'll never be the way it'll be. Or as a matter of fact, I'll tell you, if you could really convince your man to do that, you will always have beside you a stable, solid, miserable wreck. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you women want a stable, solid, miserable wreck? Better not see any hands going up there. (laughs) So, the butler goes back three days later, the message comes... To the baker, you're going to be put to death. To the butler, walks in and says a mistake was made. You've received a complete pardon, a clean bill of health from the king. And he wants you to go back and start serving him again. Oh, am I ever so happy to be free? This is wonderful. The butler says, I'm going to go right back. And he starts serving the king and he forgets all about Joseph down in that prison. Forgets about him. Can you imagine Joseph, the torment he went through down in that prison? Saying, look at this. For 20 years. Oh, I've gone through this kind of thing. So I'm telling you, I think that's what he went through. You know, we think these saints are God because we just see the highlights of it. And we see them in Israel with a coat of many colors, and people pick them up, and they're smiling. And the brothers carry them out and throw them in a pit, and they're smiling as they go down, booms. The saints of God And they pick them up And they drag them out And they sell them to the slave And saying Thank you Jesus For all of these wonderful things That are there floating along They go to Egypt And they beat them with whips And they, oh how good this feels yeah, just, just hit me a little more there See Goes in a Potiphar's house and she comes out and lays a trap for him. Oh, it never bothered him at all. None of these things ever disturb him. They go down in jail and they're lied and cheated and so forth and forgotten. Oh, that's all right. I don't mind. No, I don't think it was that way. I think what he was saying. Twenty years. Twenty years. Here's this little cell he's got walking back and forth where he goes at night. See, twenty years I've been doing good. Twenty years I've not hurt anybody. Twenty years I've tried to serve. Twenty years... God, what's happening? He forgot me. All right. All right. Now, any of you wise ever heard this? If you recognize it. I have had it. I'm resigning this church. I am not going to stay here any longer. All right, let's put it in a different context. I tell you, I've had it in this place. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make some money. I'm going to have some of the good things for a change. I'm going to let this world know that Jim Durkin is in this world. Has anybody ever gone through an experience like that? Or am I the only guy that went through something like that? Because maybe I'm preaching this sermon to myself. Maybe I'm telling me that God's getting ready to put me back in the crucible, which I think he is, by the way, because I feel it already. Hallelujah. And for, I think, it was a space of two years or three years, everything went along. Joseph had to live with it. He had to bear it. He had to stand up under it. Because there was no place to go. He was in a jail with bars and walls and rules and laws and an army. At the end of that period of time, Pharaoh, master of all Egypt, put there by Almighty God for the rulers to be and the powers to be ordained of God. And he put him there, and then in the night season he came to Pharaoh, and he gave him a dream. And he said, dream, and he dreamt. And he woke up the next day, and he was disturbed and trembling, and said, i dreamed a dream, and it's not an ordinary dream. It's God, that's saying something to me, but I don't understand it, and no one could interpret it. And then he dreamed yet another dream, and that impressed it upon him yet the more. And he said, I must know the meaning of the dream. And he called for all the wise men and the soothsayers to help him understand the dream. And no one could help him. And then the marvelous scriptural account says, The butler said, Now I remember. Hallelujah! you think suddenly his memory got good? I think God said to him, remember Joseph. Hallelujah. And he said, I thought I heard a voice there. Well, I think he did. Hallelujah. And he said, there was a man. And he interpreted my dream and told me what it means. And it came to pass that way. And Pharaoh said, send for that man. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? I tell you, when God gets you into the right spot, When God pushes you into the corner in the right way, you're willing to listen to anyone who has the answer. Get yourself ready to speak to a lost world. They may think you're hippie dropouts, or hippie hopabouts, or whatever else they may have in mind. But I'm telling you, you're not hippie anything. You're sons and daughters of the living God, and He's working a work in your heart. And if you let yourself be put in the crucible of God's dealing, and you have an answer for this world, when it gets hot enough in this world, and the pressure is strong enough, and God speaks to this world with judgment, when the roots of their financial security are destroyed, when the borders of their international boundaries are broken, and the integrity of those boundaries violated, When fear rises to the pitch which it will do, the Bible says in the last days men's hearts shall fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon the earth. They will be looking for an answer. And anyone who can give a right answer, the Bible says people will kiss the lips of him. that can give a right answer. They're going to be crying out for a right answer because there will be nothing, everything they have depended upon, monetary systems, future rewards, safety, everything will be gone. People are saying, somebody help me. That's what Pharaoh was saying. Somebody help me. I've heard from God and I'm afraid. There's a prisoner. Put in there for a terrible crime against one of your noblemen, but he knows God and he can give you an answer. Send for him! I need an answer. They tell me you can interpret dreams and dissolve doubts and unloose hard knots. I had a dream and here's my dream. Can you tell me the answer? Yes! It means there will be seven good years, the like of which Egypt has never seen. Your granaries will overflow. Your lands will abound. The rain will be right and the weather right. And the fields will come forth in all of their beauty. Then it will be followed by seven years of famine in which all of the lush years are going to be eaten up until there's not a sign of them anywhere. And he said, therefore, I give you counsel. Build granaries. Lay up that which God is giving you now against the evil years which will come and find a man who can administer this. Pharaoh said, Is there any man such as this one? In whom the Spirit of God is? We will put him over the whole business. And from down, 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 broken, twisted, pounded, mixed, pulled, smashed. Until God was finished. There rose from this raw ingot of iron this shapeless block of stone, there arose not the ruler over Egypt, lest we be carnally minded. Wow, he got to the top. No, no, no. He was put in the place by God where he could reach out to the people of God and cover them in time of trouble. And these same brothers came to him Judah who had sold him into slavery, brutal, cruel Judah. Read his story, a ruthless, terrible man. And yet it would be out of that tribe that Jesus would come, the kindest and the gentlest and the most merciful of all men. God would break Judah. God would change him. God would train him and he would use Joseph to do part of that work. Because all of those years, it had been laying there deep in his being his conscience was smiting from time to time I sold my brother I sold my flesh I lied to my father I brought misery into his life and I can't tell I can't tell anyone when his brothers around and the ones that did it they all bound together to keep quiet They didn't know what to do but Judah was the main one who bore the burden of that thing the time came through the working of God that he got Judah into a tight spot. I just want to read to you how God used this man, Joseph, how changed he was. I can see if he have got a hold of Judah about six months after that. had happened to him and had him in his power. He would have had him drawn and quartered, and I don't know what else he would have done to him. It would have been a terrible thing to be sure. I just want to read to you. It's a 44th chapter, and this will just pretty well end up. 14th verse, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house. They were now in a real bind with Joseph. They didn't know who Joseph was, by the way. They just thought he was an Egyptian ruler. He looked like one. Of course, many years had passed, and he'd become older, and they'd all become older, and it kind of faded out of their mind who he was and what he was. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. Joseph said unto them, What is this deed that ye have done? Wot ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace to your father. And it was found in Benjamin's hand, the youngest son. And... The old father Jacob said, if anything happens to Benjamin, my son, he said, you'll bring down my gray hairs to death. He said, make sure when you go there to get that food that you bring him back safely to me or you'll destroy me. And Judah said, may you destroy all of my household if anything happens to him. May you destroy me, but I'll bring him back safely to you. But we need him. The man said not to return hither. Now it's come around that Joseph is saying this younger one is going to remain with me. You'll see that's how it works out. Then Judah came near unto him and said, "O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh." My Lord asked his servant, saying, "Have ye a father or a brother?" And we said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Bring him down hither unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, he shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up to thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face except our younger brother be with us. And thy servant my father said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad, unto my father, saying, If I bring him not hither unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest for adventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now listen to these words, please. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Hallelujah. You see, God would take 20 years to take out of Joseph all vindictiveness, all desire to get even. All of that frustrating anger of youth which wants to exert itself and express itself and demand its place. But Joseph would just be to the place now where all he wanted to do was what God wanted him to do. Whether it was to live or to die, be in a prison or a palace, if only he could be used of God to glorify his God. And that's what God has in store for you, you men. There's a destiny for each one of you. You have gifts that have been put in you by Almighty God. And those gifts are still, for the most part, bound up in you. Some of them, I've seen them come out a little bit. And I've been amazed. And sometimes frightened at the power and the magnitude of those gifts that I have seen in this body of people. In my mind's eye, with the eye of faith, I've seen what God wants for some of you. And it's becoming clearer as I see and get to know more and more about you, each one of you, that God has built something glorious and wonderful, magnificent into you. I don't know how great will be the extent of the operation of those gifts. But they're there. And yet to allow those gifts to come forth and to flow and to be everything that God intended that they should be, I also in my heart grieve for you and pray for you and yet rejoice for you men because God will beat upon you and He will put you in the forge of adversity. He will pull twist and bend and mix until all of those gifts that are there come forth in all of their power. He'll never rest until you're the very thing that He saw you to be long before the foundations of the world because that's when you were chosen in Him. And now a word to you women. I pray that God will make you the type of women that it talks about. You are already that in faith That's the reality. But I pray that you will give yourself over to manifesting the traits of the women that God speaks of in the Word of God, the virtuous woman. The woman of the song of Solomon who looks to her Lord's rising and down, sitting and going. And you literally impart to your men, you literally impart to them who they are in Christ. And pray that God will give you an ever bigger vision, an ever larger vision. Don't shortchange yourself or them or most of all the work of God by settling or demanding or pushing or squeezing to get them to hold it someplace. Don't allow them to still be a shapeless block of stone which somebody can use as a stair step. When they could be a marvelous statue that people could look at and say, there's the handiwork of God. Oh, but it takes noble women to hear what I'm saying today. It takes women with a heart that is bigger than the ordinary woman has. No woman has a heart that big. It takes the grace of God working in a woman's life that her heart becomes that big that she can bear also the heat of the forge. And the pain of God's beating and pounding, for she must suffer with her husband. He'll fall on his face a hundred times, and you must be willing to fall with him. If you get tired of falling, if you get tired of the mud, if you get tired of the mire, if you get tired of the failure, if you get tired of the humiliation, then somewhere you and he will stop short of that which God intended. But if you ever stop short of it, you won't be happy. You'll be content for a little bit and say, Ah, man, this is what we were really meant to do. No, it isn't what you're meant to do. And something will once again stir in that man. And he'll say, I'm miserable. And say, Oh, no, we're starting all this over again. Not over again. It never stopped. The man is being pushed on by God to achieve that place. And oh, my prayer is for our men if they are to be married. God will always give to them the kind of women that I've seen rise up in this ministry. Women of heart, women of commitment, women of submission, women of surrender, women of wisdom who will study the Word of God and say, what is it that God does in the life of a man? How does He work with a man so that I can understand my husband, so that I can understand my son, so that I can understand the men of this ministry when they're going through these times of turmoil? So that I can understand and pray and stand beside Him and support Him and say, I know that you are a man of God. I know that you are a king. I know that you have been raised up of God to do a work. Go on and do it. We're with you. I believe God has raised up such a generation of women. Not silly-minded, self-centered women. But noble women. Women that are willing to go with their men to the ends of the earth if need be. Women that are willing to give up and stand beside and work with. So whatever it is that God has intended to be accomplished in their men and in themselves and in their children. Shall have been accomplished. Or maybe that's what womanhood really implies. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer please. Now, Blessed Father, I believe you have spoken to us very strongly today, and yet how we rejoice in that also, Blessed Father, you're our God. We see what you did in the lives of the men and women of Scripture, but we see because this great confusion results in the hearts of men because they don't know their destiny. We see you've dealt much with this subject in the Bible. You've given us a clear picture of the virtuous woman. But the man of God, you show him again and again, going through these great struggles and great turmoils and great periods of confusion where he did not know where to turn either the right hand or the left hand until you brought him through that confusion. And how many times in his life, when he knew he was to do something and attempted to do it, but he was not quite ready... You brought him to a place of defeat and humiliation and confusion. Sometimes he walked in that for years and years and years until finally you brought him out of it. Oh God, grant us to understand that as men about ourselves. And grant to our women to understand that about ourselves. The pressures that are being applied as we daily walk with you is that that inner spirit that you have placed in us is moving us toward that thing which you have seen for us before the foundations of the world. Father, I pray for both mother and father in raising their children, especially the men children. Oh God, that they apply those same principles and understandings and truth to these little men being raised up, that they become strong men who can understand themselves even in the times of darkest confusion to know that you really are working in their lives. Grant that that will be so, blessed Father. And take these words and let them be Much understood by our people, Lord, we pray and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.